to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. Um, I hope that you enjoyed my special Wednesday edition of the podcast. Um, I just had to share, right, the wild ride that uh, Waylon and I went on a few weeks ago. Um, You know, and I think that it goes to show that, you know, none of us are perfect, not even those of us who have been training professionally going on eight years, right? Shit happens sometimes, but you just got to make the best of it. And Waylon is no worse for the wear. So if you haven't already listened to episode um, 33, give it a listen. I talk all about the adventure of um, porcupine encounters. (laughs) Um, I'm so looking forward to sharing today's episode with you. Um, My special guest, Amber Kwan is a Karen Pryor Academy training partner, and she's also a certified professional dog trainer. Amber is the owner and head trainer of Summit Dog Training in Fort Collins, and she is the creator of the Drink With Your Dog Project. The Drink With Your Dog Project offers information for dog owners, brewery staff, and dog trainers alike, and it is a fantastic program. So if you like to drink with your dog, I highly suggest that you check out um, the Drink With Your Dog project. I've included links to that in the show notes. So, you know, give that a look. Um, My apologies, guys. The conversation with Amber and I, the connection was a little funny. So I did my best to do as much editing as I can. Um, But the quality is not um, the greatest. But the message is amazing. Um, I'm a big believer in bringing your dog places. And I think that if you can be equipped with how to train those skills, you're much more likely to take your dog places. And then, you know, you can bond more, your relationship can flourish a little bit more, and then your dog doesn't have to sit at home as much. And I love that so much. So um, I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Amber. If you like this episode, please um, take a screenshot and tag me in your Instagram stories at a good feeling underscore NCO. And then you can also tag Amber at Summit Dog Training and let us know what you liked about the episode. Um, enjoy, you guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Disorderly Dogs. I am so excited to talk about um, not only just patio manners, but just, you know, s- skills for social settings. And, and Amber is here with me and she's going to share all of her expertise so that you can um, take your dog more places if that's something that they will, you know, be successful at. So, um, okay, so let's talk about not only, you know, patios, but let's talk about some other social situations that what we're going to talk about can apply to. Yeah, so, um, okay, so Amber, I know that you primarily focus on breweries, but I feel like that this can apply to, you know, parties, barbecues. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything. Um, I tell my students to practice this at their own dinner table at home. So even just at home manners can be greatly enhanced by these concepts that we're going to talk about. 
Yeah, for sure. Okay. So um, I think that's something that's super important to talk about first and foremost is, you know, identifying if your dog is a good candidate for going to these social situations. Absolutely. Yes. Because uh, not every dog is uh, going to be a social butterfly or even, um, you know, a wallflower quiet um, uh, dog that's going to be comfortable in those situations. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. To be thinking of them as we decide whether to yeah. bring them out. Yeah. Okay. So I think, you know, let's start with your dog's reaction to people. Yeah. Okay. So if you have a dog who is afraid of people, these social situations are probably not right for your dog initially. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that that means that like without training and further behavior modification that maybe one day, like some situations could be right. Mm -hmm. But what do you think on that, Amber? Absolutely, I agree. Um, and I tell uh, my students, my human uh, students, to kind of evaluate how their dog would feel people in general and use that as a baseline to say like, all right, we're going to work towards um, either towards more confident behaviors or if the dog just, you know, over the top excited about people like work towards more calm behaviors. So wherever their baseline is when they're starting this uh, exploration of uh, being able to go out to a patio, that's a good um, information for us determining to determine whether the dog is going to be able to be prepared for that yeah, for sure. And I think that that's a good point that you brought up, right? That like devastated. Sorry, you froze a little bit. Um, yeah, sorry, guys, we're working on the connection here. Okay, so um, yeah, and I think that that's a good point that you brought up, Amber, like the, the spectrum, right? Like dogs who love people too much. Maybe, yes. right? And then dogs who maybe are not a fan of people just kind of in general. And right. then and then absolutely. Too, and I think go ahead. Uh, I think a dog doesn't have to absolutely love people in order to be a successful out and about dog. Like there are plenty of dogs. Um, my dog was one of them who tolerated people just fine. It was could take them or leave them. Um, and he was more than happy to leave them. Um, but if someone wanted to say hello, he would tolerate that interaction for a, a certain amount of time. Um, and so I think that there are friend, but great patio buddies. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, and I think, you know, on the people front too, if you're going somewhere that you know there's going to be kids, you definitely need to determine your dog's comfort level with kids before Absolutely. you just like throw them to the, to the wolves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So we're throw the child to the wolves. <laughs> yeah. Right. One. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then I think too, you know, if you're taking your dog to a social situation where there are likely to be other dogs, it's pretty important that you understand how your dog can interact socially with dogs. And like, not even necessarily just physical interactions, but like if the dog is in sight, if the dog is close to them, like does your dog have coping skills for that? Right. Absolutely. And do you have coping skills to help your dog through that situation? If, you know, the one dog that your dog doesn't like walks in the door um, at the brewery, even though they're friendly with every other single dog. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then um, I think something else that's worth bringing up is your dog's ability to cope with noise. Right. Loud noises. Whew, that can be a lot for some dogs. Right. And if you're going to, you know, a, a public setting and there's a lot of noise, like, is that going to send your dog into petrified shutdown mode? Right. Right. Uh, and that's something we uh, we actually we practice in uh, some of our classes, like with um, common things that people would 
um, maybe encounter and dogs would maybe encounter in a brewery like sandwich boards uh, signs like falling over randomly in the wind, um, a blowing umbrella or, um, you know, a beer glass shattering on the ground, like all of those things are, you know, hard to predict, but could happen right behind your dog. Right. Yeah. So if your dog has like pretty intense noise sensitivity, I don't think that being out and about is probably the best place for that specific dog. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, I, you know, on the the unpredictable note, right. (laughs) Um, you know, if your dog can't handle a really high distraction level, right. Mm -hmm. Like they can't handle not saying hi to other dogs. They can't handle not saying hi to people. They can't handle sitting still. Like, I think that that's definitely something you need to evaluate before you are taking your dog to these like out and about situations that we're talking to in this episode. Absolutely. And doing, um, if your dog can't, at this point, there's stuff, there's definitely things you can do to help them get to that point, but it just helps you evaluate to have, to know where your baseline is. Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a good point, right? Like all of this we're talking at as a baseline, right? So it means maybe if that's your dog today, you shouldn't take them somewhere tomorrow. But that doesn't mean that you can't be working towards those goals. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think let's talk about maybe some like personality types and dogs that maybe would just be happier if they were at home. Sure. Yeah. So in your experience, what are some dogs like, you know, personality traits that you see that it's like, you know, you would just suggest to people that maybe the dog would just be more content at home? Sure. So I have um, encountered people who have older dogs who have never been out of the backyard before and maybe they've just um, adopted them or maybe they just moved to a town where they, you know, actually had a brewery or another public place that was dog friendly. And this dog is, you know, 10 years old and has never been outside of the backyard before. And um, the first time they take them to the new place, the dog is really worried about everything else um, going on, things they've never seen before. that's one of those situations where certainly we could do things to help that dog feel more confident and comfortable, but it probably is a good um, time to evaluate. Like, is, is your senior dog that's never done any of these things before um, open to such a different life experience um, after, you know, being kind of sheltered? That's one um, kind of theme I've um, encountered several times as, a, as an older dog. Um, Another would be a dog, uh, really what we would label anxious uh, dog, where they have a lot of different triggers. Um, You know, maybe a dog that's anxious about other dogs can handle it with work. But if a dog is anxious about other dogs, people, loud noises, has kind of has the, you know, trifecta and is anxious about all of those things. Uh, I would say there's other things we need to be working on first before the brewery or the other public, you know, cafe setting is really our goal environment for training. Yeah, and I think that that's a super good point. And I think, you know, on that note, um, dogs who are recently adopted, I think it's much more valuable to get to know those dogs in more predictable settings before you're taking them to these social situations, right? And I think, you know, newly rescued dogs, adults and puppies alike, Right. Because just because they're a young puppy does not mean that like they're prepped and ready for like these crazy social situations. 
No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, right. And like um, in the last episode, Melissa joined me and we talked all about puppy socialization. And that's something she brought up too, right? Is that like, you know, throwing your, your puppy into a situation where there's going to be a million people approaching them is not proper socialization. That's mm -hmm. just kind of traumatizing. Right. It's flooding for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. So, okay. So if, if you've figured out that your dog can handle some of the distraction levels, some of the, you know, stuff we've talked about, let's talk about what we can do first and foremost to set our dogs up for success. Sure. Right. So people who listen to this podcast, hear me preach all the time about management. So let's talk about some management techniques we can use um, for our dogs in these social situations. Sure. Uh, so the very first thing that I normally have my students evaluate is whether their dogs can eat food in a public setting. Like just kind of a yes or no question. Is this setting something where your dog can focus on you and eat food? Um, and that does, they don't have to do anything necessarily like sit down, stay calm. Like first baseline is like, can your dog eat a cookie while there's another dog across the room? Yeah. If the answer is yes, then okay. That's a good sign, um, that we're moving in a direction where the dog is still comfortable enough to eat food. Um, and that's not a like catch all for all dogs. There are certainly some dogs who will eat regardless and they could be way over threshold and still eating. Um, but for many dogs, like being able to, you know, take a cookie from their people in a public setting, like can be a good kind of barometer for how they're feeling. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's a super good point because some people just think that like, it just comes naturally, <laughs> right? Like, oh yeah, my dog just eats everywhere. Like, if you own that dog, woo, consider yourself blessed because that's not right. all dogs, right? Like sometimes right. it's a skill we actually have to teach. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's actually one of the prerequisites that we put on our on our list for for our brewery manners classes. As we put on our list and say, like, before joining this class, can your dog eat in the presence of other dogs? Because if they can't eat in the presence of other dogs and people, then you got a lot of uh, you have other work to do first. Great. And if you find yourself in that social city, sit, uh, setting, you and your dog are both going to, you know, quote unquote, fail, because if they can't eat, you're not making behavior change, right? Like you're not teaching anything if they're not in a, a headspace to be eating. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so if our dog will eat in public, what are some other, um, you know, management techniques that you suggest using before taking your dog to these social situations? Sure. I, uh, highly recommend exercise as a prerequisite to any, like, any social situation where we're going to be asking your dogs to be calm and relaxed. Um, if we take them there first thing of the day and we haven't really done any other physical activity, it's going to be a lot harder for them to be chill and um, calm in that setting. So, um, and the, you know, most public settings where we take our dogs are not, uh, in this case, we're not talking about the dog park or another off leash play area, really. We're talking about a human play area where dogs are allowed um, and yeah. dogs are expected to be calm and relaxed and close in order to foster the enjoyment of everyone being there. So this isn't a, a time for your dog to be, you know, wrestling under the table with the friends next door. This is a time for your dog to be calm. And so um, have exercise prior to going um, is really key. Um, as you're planning your, your visits and especially as you're trying to figure out how your dog interacts and behaves in public. 
Yeah, for sure. And that's something that like, I mean, I post a lot of videos on my Instagram of my dogs like chilling on patios. Ladies and gentlemen, that's post like seven to 10 mile hikes. Okay, like that is like after they've been off leash, they've been partying hard, then I can expect them to hang out. Right. So your exercise, you know, your exercise is going to depend on the dog. But if you have a young, active dog, we're not talking just like a short walk around the block is exercise. Right. Like, yeah. Some sort of like running, best case scenario, like if it's appropriate for the dog, some sort of like off-leash exercise so that they really are satiated in that department. Right. Yeah. That's a coach my students too is uh, by things with them to help their dogs relax. So um, most of my students are trained, (laughs) human students are trained to bring a mat or a blanket with them to put down and we we work on a lot of training that says you know dog go lay here but just even without training bringing something for your dog to settle on has the uh, one gives your dog a clear target and a clear place to be two it um you know it's a little bit more comfortable than laying on a hard concrete surface so maybe attractive in that way um so managing the environment by providing something desirable to do um in the form of some a clear spot to lay is a big piece of management um to consider as well yeah for sure right something comfortable that's normal right mm-hmm. like oh this smells like me okay all right Great. I can hang out here I yeah. yeah and then on top of that i have people bring a stuffed kong or something for their dog to utilize on, you know, as a, you know, here, you're laying on your bed, here's your really exciting toy. And uh, that's something that can be done without any training, um, necessarily, really, uh, just, you know, teaching the dog that we, we get good things for chilling on our mats under the under the table. Right. And you're making it super obvious, right? Like, do this thing right now. <laughs> um, and it's surprising how many um, in class, like I talk about this in, in my classes and how many people are like, Oh, I never even thought to bring a peanut butter, um, container to the brewery for my dog. And you know, they try it and they're like, wow, that it was so easy to keep my dog comfortable and happy. And we got to hang out for twice as long as we would have otherwise. Yeah. Okay. And I think that that's a good segue into time limits. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, knowing what your dog's limits are as far as how long they can handle being in a public setting is huge. Um, I actually coach one of the exercises we do in one of my classes is I coach people to go around the room and look at their dogs um, and tell me what their dogs are feeling, but also tell me some of the things that they should be looking for in their particular dog that tell them that the dog is ready to go or needs a break. So things like vocalizing or pacing or um, being really distracted, um, you know, bouncing up and down or like not being able to stay settled, like getting people to identify things that their dog might use to indicate they're getting a little bit antsy and um, then, you know, utilize that as kind of, okay, it's time to go or take a walk around the block and come back, you know, whatever is needed. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's super individual per dog, but I think by and large, like you shouldn't be going somewhere and expecting your dog just to like hang out and chill for hours on end. Like, I just, I don't think that that's a fair expectation. And I mean, you know, if you have like a senior dog, and they love being in social situations, maybe they could hang for like that amount of time. But a young dog, like 
that's a, a long amount of time to expect them just to like hang out regardless of the distraction level. So I think it's important to take that stuff into consideration, right? Like maybe if you're going to the brewery, go and have like a beer or two. Don't plan on going and like getting, you know, several beers deep and just expecting your dog just to hang. Sure. Absolutely. And yeah, and also your decision making, your good decision making for your dog deteriorates after one or two beers as well. So another yeah. factor to keep in mind. Yeah, for sure. And like, ultimately, you need to be your advocate for your dog, right? right? So, you know, if your dog is starting to lose it, that's when you need to like, take one for the team and be like, all right, guys, I got to go home now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. So um, I think that those are all really good management techniques. And I think, too, um, I think something that's worth exploring is choosing locations, right? So maybe um, the first time you go to, like, your favorite, like, dog-friendly place, maybe you don't take the dog. So you can kind of get a feel for, like, what is the setting like? What's the activity level like? So that you can make appropriate choices in the locations that you're choosing to take the dog. Absolutely. And uh, I also... Uh, recommend that when the first time you go with your dog, it is not at like peak time. So, you know, Belgium yeah. Brewery on a Saturday afternoon, the first uh, week of July is going to be insane. And really like, that's not the time to go for the first time with your dog. Um, that's a, a good time to go after you've, you know, practice a lot of those good brewery skills and routines. Um, and have your system down. Um, but instead, you know, going at, you know, 7pm on um, a weeknight in the middle of winter is um, probably a better time to get a, get started. Yeah, for sure. And I think something else that, you know, I found myself in this scenario before too, is that like, I had the best intentions, I felt like I chose the right place, I got there, it was a shit show, for lack of a better term, and <laughs> I chose to bail. Yes. You know what I mean? So like, I think that you need to prepare yourself for that too. Like the scenario just may not be right. And there's no sense right. of going exactly. and, and getting pissed at your dog because they can't settle, right? <laughs> like it completely right. defeats the purpose. It completely defeats the purpose. So, you know, be ready to be flexible and change plans, just kind of depending on like what the the scene looks like when you get there. Right. And uh, another note on that um, really quickly is a question I often get from brewery staff members because I do education for them as well. But um, one of the questions they often come to me with is like, well, what about, um, you know, someone comes to a brewery and then we tell them like it's too crowded for dogs today or, you know, we aren't dog friendly inside and they want to sit inside. And those people then go and put their dog in the car and then come back to do the tour. Um, that was like what dogs aren't allowed on the tour. People want to do the tour. They put the dogs in the car. And this, um, you know, in the middle of summer is not a good solution either. And um, something to be mindful of as well is like if you make the decision to go to the brewery with your dog. Um, and it's, you know, I certainly think there's situations where leaving the dog in the car is okay, but you know, anywhere, especially in Colorado, anywhere from April to October, you know, that's kind of iffy, um, and something you need to be invested in bringing your dog to in. Like if, if the dog can't be there for whatever reason, you all might have to not be there. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like it's not fair that your dog has to hang out in a hot car because you planned, I mean, you failed in the planning department, right? <laughs> like not a good solution. Not right. a good solution. 
Okay. Um, yeah, and, and that's a good point, right? Like looking at like the brewery staff's end of it too, right? And, you know, guys, it's important that we're advocates for the dog community because mm-hmm. these places go out of their way. It's not usually like an easy feat to like just be a dog friendly location either. So if you're showing up and your dog is raising hell, that's going to compromise it for the rest of us. Absolutely. I have uh, so many stories in my head from that have been given to me from brewery staff members of uh, of things that you know cause them to think like why do can we continue to have dogs in our in the last six months because of an incident um like they had to change their their policy on dogs because of an incident and we're losing one in loveland um uh sometime this fall like they're changing their policies and it's uh in a large part due to dog owners just not listening to direction and not being mindful of how their dogs are impacting the the flow of um the brewery and that's really um sad from a uh, from a perspective of someone who wants to be able to take my dog to as many places as possible but also sees the catastrophes happening on the patio and in the tap room and understands you know from a brewery staff perspective that it's a liability and a, um, a headache and a risk for them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, this is all so important, not only for you and your dog, but for like the dog community and like the staff members of these places who are opening it up to our dogs. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some trained behaviors that, um, you know, and you kind of, you know, alluded to this earlier, but these behaviors, you definitely want to be teaching, training, reinforcing outside of these busy situations, right? So, you know, everything we're going to talk about is, you know, training in a low distracting scenario where your dog is going to be able to focus. Okay. Yes, so, absolutely. okay. So what do you think is the most important trained behavior for um, patio dogs? Um, so it's hard for me to pick just one. Um, I have seven. <laughs> I have seven, but um, but if I had to pick one, it would be um, a solid settle mat skill, like stationing, um, duration, relaxation on a mat or under a table, like whatever you use as your cued spot for your dog. If I had to pick one thing, like that is something that um, has applications on so many different things. Um, You know, greetings with strangers. If your dog is calmly on a mat under the table, they're not going to be jumping on every person that walks by. Um, If they are able to be very calm and like have kind of an expectation that anytime you stop, they lay down and go under something, then you're going to be able to navigate a crowded tap room, like with a beer in your hand very easily without your dog, you know, taking out, um, you know, clotheslining people as you walk by. Um, If you have a good like settle on a mat, they're going to be able to recover from a startling event really quickly, uh, you know, and go back to their safe space. So really that's, if I had to pick one, that would be my number, my top. Yeah. Okay. And listeners of this podcast have heard me preach, preach hard, (laughs) right? Like it is an insanely useful life skill. And especially in the context of bars, breweries, you know, social settings. Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So what are some other trained behaviors that you suggest people work on? Sure. Um, I also really, uh, stress polite greetings with friendly strangers. Um, and we work on this from a couple different angles. I don't think there's one size fits all as far as what a polite greeting should look like for your dog with 
um, a person. I think it's useful to have several different approaches depending on what the scenario is. Um, one of the things we work on in um, our classes a lot is uh, greeting to a hand target. So like dog goes up and touches their um, nose to the offered palm of um, a stranger and then immediately turns back around and re-engages with their human. Um, and I really like this kind of greeting approach for the public setting because you never know exactly what the person who your dog is greeting is going to do next and um, having your dog, you know, turning themselves away from the scenario um, and re-engaging with you right away is really just kind of a safety net um, to prevent all sorts of things. Um, and so I, I don't think that's the solution for every dog, but I certainly work on it with um, all of my students if I can. Yeah, and I love too that it gives the person who wants to interact with the dog a very specific thing. Absolutely. Right, it's not like just like come in hot and act all primate like we do, right? Like coming in with the arms, like in the dog's yeah. face. And like, you know, some yeah. of our dogs are amazing and they tolerate it, yes. but I, I love that. I think that the the nose target is such a, a great way to manage the, the interaction. I love that. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, use, Go ahead. I used it a lot with my dog who, um, you know, his, I used it as a way to set expectations of the, the person who wanted to interact with him um, because uh, they, I would say like ahead of time um, and this kind of just cut off like people being weird about his head or trying to get his attention because he really was one of those dogs who, like I mentioned earlier, could care less about people. Um, he would go interact with them, but really he just wanted to, you know, engage with me and get cookies and get paid for interacting with them. And so if I could tell people exactly what to expect from my dog every single time, they were less taken aback and they were less like frustrated about not being able to get his attention back on them. Yeah. And I think it's a really great like education for the public too. Mm -hmm. And like properly interacting with dogs. Yeah. Because, you know, I feel like, you know, people are getting more savvy. I really do feel like that. Like, I really feel like by and large, especially here in Colorado, we're super spoiled with, you know, such fabulous people and, and their dogs. But I think it's a good lesson. And like, you don't need to come in and like smother my dog. Like, that's not a super great way to interact with the dog that you don't know. Okay, so um, what are some other useful trained behaviors you think people should invest their time in? Sure, I for a public setting, um, I also really like developing a good polite ordering sequence. So if you're going to go to a coffee shop or a brewery or a um, you know a restaurant, dog friendly restaurant or anywhere else um, that you could take your dog, uh, the bank. This has applications at the bank to go in there if your bank's dog friendly. Um, developing a sequence where your dog expects things um, to go in a certain way when you approach a counter to interact with um, someone on the other side. Uh, so I teach it as, as like the wall that your dog is approaching is a cue to sit and stay beside. Um, so we have just the dog doesn't even need me to say sit and stay, but they we, we train it so that as we're approaching any wall, um, you can do this in your house too, but a wall is the cue to then sit and stay beside and get rewarded and then we turn and walk on um and this is really helpful for you know preventing jaws dogs jumping up and putting their paws on things um many breweries are like just love that but there are also some that are like oh get dogs off the counter and like let's not do that yeah and it goes 
being extra considerate and not letting our dogs do things unless they're explicitly invited to do so um, in that context. So waiting for the brewery staff member to say, hey, come up here and let me pet you rather than the dog just assuming that <laughs> that's what we do. Um, so a good polite ordering routine, um, including training like walking with something in your hands. Like if you're carrying a, you know, large pizza and your dog on is leash walking on your left, you are going to need to indicate to your dog, you know, your movements without a tug on the leash. Cause you're not going to have an extra hand to do that or without, um, you know, having, um, really a lot of control other than your dog being able to understand that when you're moving, they should follow you. So training a good leash walk through tight spaces and distractions where your dog's following you, regardless of whether the leash is tight, is also a really essential public manner skill for those type of situations. My gosh, I love the predictability in the um, ordering procedure. Yes. From the dog end of things, right? Absolutely. So it's like, it's it's not like this new thing. They're like, oh, this is what we're doing. I know how to do that. It's super reinforcing. Yep. Anytime. My, my human walks into the strange wall <laughs> I get trees for sitting still I guess I can do that it doesn't make sense but I guess I can do it <laughs> right well and I think it's important for people to realize that like if you spend the time training these specific setups and scenarios it is going to greatly improve the ease of being in public with the dog absolutely yes so many times I'll be standing in line behind someone else with the dog um, at a, at a public setting and, you know, the dog's like completely has no idea what's going on. Like they're looking over here for, um, reinforcement. They're looking over to the right, to the left behind them for reinforcement. And the owner is, you know, just trying to focus on the task in front of them, which is, you know, figuring out what they want, ordering it, paying, going through all of those, um, processes that take brain power and the dog, you know, doesn't have time to really communicate to the dog what's expected of them. And it becomes kind of this tug of war match where the dog is finding all of their reinforcement for all the wrong behaviors in the environment. And so instead, like trying to create a predictable behavior chain instead, where the dog gets reinforced with the same thing every time, it's easier than for us as humans to, you know, know where our dog should be. And that way, if they're not where they should be, it's a little bit easier for us to realize that. Um, without taking too much of our brain power away from actually, you know, functioning in, you know, the, the ordering process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think we can agree on this is that, you know, ultimately everything that we train is to improve the life of not only our dogs, but also ourselves, right? Like fluidly working as a team with clear communication. And that's so mm -hmm. applicable to these social situations that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so what else in the trained behavior department? Um, so I also train a really, um, good leave it. Um, oh, yeah. and I like to train it as like a, um, almost without a verbal cue from the person, but just like something unexpected drops into the dog's vicinity. Uh, and that is a cue to check in with the person and then maybe get to go have it. So we are thinking about preparing pizza on the ground in front of their nose and you know maybe um the pizza has um you know onions and garlic and macadamia nuts on it or grapes whatever <laughs> weird things that i'm not supposed to have um, right away and we need to assess and make sure like okay let's take all the bad stuff off this pizza before the dog has it um we don't want the dog to be halfway through eating it before we can react to get like 
you know, to them. Um, and so I spent a lot of time teaching like food at first, just being set in front of the dog is a cue to turn and re-engage with us. And we do this through, um, a, an airless learning protocol as much as we can in class, which is like presenting the food at an easy level. So where the dog's not already jumping on the food and then we have to, you know, pull the dog off or something. That's not really, we don't need the dog to practice the bad behavior in order to teach the good level where the dog can't get it and then we see the dog sniffing it and wait for the moment where the dog turns their nose away and re-engages with their person and we reward and then we present it a little bit lower and repeat so the dog's getting um so much reinforcement from you know food is there but i get rewarded for checking with my person and then food is lower and more accessible but i get rewarded for checking with my person and then build on it from there yeah for sure and like you know that's you know, people have heard us talk about this, but I think it's important to talk about again is that everything that we're teaching, we're starting with small itsy bitsy baby steps where the dog is successful and then we're incrementally building up on that, right? And exactly. that that form of training and doing it like that leads to insanely reliable behaviors without any conflict from the dog whatsoever, right? So it's right. not- and, and also like dogs that are cued to do the behavior from the environment and not needing the owner to be um, on them to to get, expect the correct behavior. Because if you, you know, are like me when I'm sitting at a brewery, I'm not all, often like at my top reflexes. And yeah. um, if something, you know, if I drop a beer, spill a beer on the ground and glass goes everywhere and my dog is immediately like ready to get up and go and lick it up, my reflexes are not going to be as fast as my dog. Um, and if my dog like sees that and then immediately thinks, oh, that's something I've been trained. I've seen this, something like this before. That's a cue to check in with my person rather than like wait, having to rely on me to say, leave it or that leash tug to be there because I'm not as fast as my dog. <laughs> um, and so even though I might add that leave it cue in, I might say leave it. I want my dog to start out thinking that the cue is coming from the environment a little bit first. So that it buys me a few seconds to then add in the cues that I need. Yeah, for sure. And like using the environment as cues makes the job as the human side of things a lot easier too. Absolutely. So you don't have to micromanage and say, leave it like 30 right. fucking times, right? Like no, no, no. it can be so much easier than that, guys. Yeah. It can be so much easier than that. <laughs> A lazy cure for sure when it comes to, <laughs> I would much rather teach the cue to come from the environment than um, me needing to be on top of things all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, was there one more? Um, it's all seven. Nope, one more was um, the last one is recover from startle. So, where wow. um, this is um, I, not so much a skill as just kind of a counter conditioning kind of um, a procedure and just making sure our dogs are um, equipped emotionally to perceive something startling and kind of shake it off and go about their day. And um, I think that's a really valuable skill. And we can do some training setups to prepare them for that. Um, I start out by just like pairing scary sounds at a mild level with something good. And then we start to do our scary sound followed by a cue to go settle on their mat. So um, I try to link it to an operant um, behavior where the dog is actually, you know, asked to do something in response to a startle. Um, but really just kind of baseline would be 
dog is able to recover easily when they encounter something and kind of shake it off and move on with their life. Yeah. And then that way, those like loud events don't have to be like, oh man, we got to pack it up and go now. Right. Right. Like your dog can take it in stride and everyone can just continue enjoying themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So guys, you heard me talk about this earlier, but um, I'm going to let Amber kind of give us the, the rundown. So, so tell us more about drink with your dog. What a fabulous program. I love it. <laughs> it has been a really fun project. So basically it's threefold. Um, one uh, aspect of the drink with your dog project, we are uh, teaching brewery manners classes, education for dogs and dog owners on being great uh, brewery dogs. And uh, through that, we have a kind of a titling program, like to earn, you know, certified uh, brewery friendly dog titles, where if your dog can achieve these skills level, they earn that um, little um, accolade. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. And that's where a lot of this discussion comes from. I, um, I teach these classes a lot for my students um, at four or five different breweries around um, town in the town we live in. And um, there's so much fun and we, we have a great time with that. And then the second aspect of this education program is uh, for breweries, uh, breweries or and we have an online class for this as well. And uh, where I go and teach them about how to safely and effectively host dogs in their brewery spaces. So we go over dog body language and how to safely go up and greet a dog, um, how to tell if a dog is not up for a greeting, um, how to talk to dog owners when their dog is misbehaving in a way that, you know, kind of doesn't, you know, um, shut them down, but it encourages them to do something different with their dog. Um, and, you know, just some basics of dog um, health and, um, you know, disease prevention and all of the safety features, um, safety factors in hosting dogs in their brewery space. So that's been a really um, popular workshop and a good way to kind of get um, brewery staff members on board of not just being a dog friendly space, but being a dog friendly and dog safe space, safer space for um, dogs they will also be able to keep hosting dogs long term rather than having, um, you know, an unfortunate incident and needing to change their policy because of that. And then the third aspect of our um, Drink the Drug project is education for dog trainers on teaching our brewery manners classes. So I have um, a online course that I created on like how I teach these brewery manners classes. Um, we have, I think the last time I checked, like 30 three trainers who had taken this course around the country and um, have gotten a lot of great feedback on it. Um, and we actually have Drink With Your Dog Brewery Manners classes that have popped up in um, uh, that these trainers have already like finished the course and are starting to offer these classes in um, other cities and states around the country. So that's um, uh, really cool to see this project growing as uh, we work to get brewery dogs um, around the country um, better equipped to be in the breweries, uh, um, and keep dogs in breweries in, in the long term. Oh my God. It's so amazing. And seriously, like the far reaching impact, so profound. And yeah. like, you know, I think getting to bring your dog places is huge it and is. having the skills and making sure that it's good for the dog. It's good for you. It's good for the setting. It's like, 
it's such a big thing. So I'm so excited to share all of this with my listeners because it's yeah. so cool. Okay. So Amber, so if people want to connect with you, um, where's the best place to find you? And guys, I'll include links to all this stuff in the, in the show notes too. Sure. We are on, um, Facebook. Um, my company name is summit dog training. Uh, and then the drink with your dog, um, project has its own, uh, page as well. So either summit dog training or drink with your dog. And then we have um, a website for the drink with your dog project. That is just, uh, drinkwithyourdog.com. Awesome. Okay. So Amber, any final thoughts on um, taking your dogs to these social situations? I think that it's uh, a lot of fun when we take the time to invest in our dogs um, and teach them how to behave in those situations. I think it can be a great thing for them and for us. Um, I certainly know that I've um, benefited and enjoyed um, that immensely with my dog. So um, I am a, I, I always love to see people out with their dog and especially when the dogs are enjoying it just as much as the people. Oh my God. It's my, it's one of my favorite feelings is yes. like seeing people out with their dogs, just being like, Bravo, you guys are killing it as a team. Like yes. you are doing it. I love it so <laughs> much. <laughs> yes. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Amber. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com.